This morning we uh, we look at a, a passage in the epistles in in First Peter uh, chapter one. It is a passage that, and I've chosen this today, this Easter Sunday. It's a passage that brings together the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact of history, and what that has accomplished in the past for our salvation, in the present for our hope, and in the future for our inheritance. So we want to see the, the, um, the effectiveness and the work of Christ's salvation, uh, in, or Christ's resurrection in our lives uh, today. 1 Peter um, chapter 1, I'll read verses 3 um, through 9. Let me back up to verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, reading through verse 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, uh, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls again look briefly to the Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would um, take these words inspired by the Spirit and addressing us in our point of suffering with the glorious resurrection of Jesus, that we would see those connections and that we would live by your grace um, in a world that is far from what it one day will be. Holy Spirit, um, illumine our eyes, enlarge our hearts to receive your word. Amen. You are visiting um, Kibera. 
It is a dirt poor section of Nairobi, Kenya. As you walk into town, you are walking alongside um, a gully, an open gully that has uh, sewage flowing in it, and there are children playing by, playing nearby without any clothes on. Your guide identifies a 12-year-old girl um, not playing, uh, who is identified as a prostitute. It is full of sickness. The land is um, full of drunkenness. Uh, Wives uh, are mistreated by their husbands. There is an air of desperation about that town covered, as it were, by a toxic cloud. But in the distance, you hear a roar. It's the direction you're moving. The roar becomes more distinct. You make out human voices as you approach a little shack. And inside, there are 70 people in this little church. They are singing at the top of their lungs. They are praising God in Swahili. You cannot understand the language, but you read their hearts. Their arms are raised. Uh, Tears of joy are flowing from their eyes. Uh, their, Their lungs are full of praise to God as they sing. And they are, they have smiles as they praise and as they pray. They had virtually nothing. And yet they knew that in Christ they have everything that is of value. The resurrection life of Christ had transformed their lives into joy, even in the face of suffering. I want you this morning to think about your own suffering, your own tragedies, things that we cannot avoid uh, this year, even on Easter. But I want you to connect them to the risen Christ. I want you to connect them to the resurrection hope that you have. Perhaps there are things that have occurred far in your past. Perhaps you are haunted by memories of how you have been afflicted by another person. It still affects the way you think and the way you feel, the way you act, although it's in the distant past. It may be something today, something that tempts you to hopelessness and even on some days to harden your heart against God. Dear brothers and sisters, our hope today is not in a vaccine, (laughs) though I hope you get it. Many are taking that by faith, and yet we recognize that we trust it amongst some unknowns. But your only hope is in Jesus. Jesus who died, Jesus who was raised, and Jesus who is coming again. My goal this morning, as we look at this complex but beautiful passage, my goal this morning is that you would see and understand and even feel the beauty and the weight that Christ's resurrection revolutionizes everything in this life and the life to come. The resurrection of Jesus Christ revolutionizes everything in this life and certainly in the life to come. There are three main points that I want to get to this morning as we're looking at this passage. The resurrection of Jesus gives you 
living hope. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees your glorious future for all those who trust in him. And the resurrection of Christ fortifies you this day in very pointed and particular ways to be able to face your troubles triumphantly. The resurrection then, first of all, in verse 3, gives you a living hope. You are born again into living hope. The only time in Scripture this phrase is used, living hope. Everything changed, we saw, for the Kyberian people. God gives a new birth that is so radical that it's called regeneration. It is a new heart implanted in you that gives you new life, new energy, new goals, new desires. On one of these cold mornings, you, you, uh, you walk out to your car, the engine, uh, the engine is cold, the engine is still, and the ignition switch turns on that engine, sparks that engine so that it roars and comes to life. Regeneration, being born again, is the God's uh, powerful, sovereign ignition switch that turns us on to life. One writer put it this way, it's a calm, the calm explosion of God gives new life uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, suffering can lead you to feel uh, dead inside and hopeless and without a future. It can cause you to think that way. But in this regeneration, uh, God takes that dead heart and gives a living heart. He takes a heart of stone and he makes one full of life. So the dirt poor people in Kibera uh, tasted the glory of heaven. They saw the beauty of God in the muddy, broken world that was all around them. And that is our delight as well. You see, the resurrection uh, sets, Christ's resurrection sets in motion a new world, really a new creation. Rome, as we were singing a few minutes ago, Rome uh, could not keep him dead as much as they tried. And their little Roman seal uh, on that, uh, that, that stone rolled on that tomb was a futile effort to keep Jesus in that tomb. Did they really think he had to use the door? His resurrection brings a revolution and a renovation. The curse of Adam, the first man we read in the, in the book of Genesis, um, sinned against God and the curse brought us into, or his sin brought us into a world of sin and misery. And so we see around us racial disharmony outside of the church. We see crime. We see families in tension. We see those in chronic pain. We see those who are deeply disillusioned. And yet God, in raising Christ from the dead, that is the first act of making, the scripture says, making all things new. Jesus, again, the scripture says, is the firstborn uh, of all creation. And if Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, what does that make you and me? The secondborn. All who believe in Christ are the secondborn. God planted a seed in you that will flower finally and fully in heaven 
we remember then, we're seated, as Colossians said, with Christ in high, on high. And so what we may not do, and what I encourage you not to do, is to allow suffering, as difficult and painful as it might be, to rule you. It affects you, but it does not need to rule you. It does not need to control your outlook. The greatest example of this in Scripture, I suspect, outside of the, um, the life of our Lord Jesus, those who are affected uh, by the horror of sin, uh, that would be, that would be uh, Job in the Old Testament. Remember, he argued his case before God. He argued that he was a righteous sufferer. That all of these things that God had taken from him, his life falling apart, all of that, he was a righteous sufferer. And he, he called upon God to explain himself to Job. Towards the end of the book, of course, he came to see his audacity. He came to see his brashness. And his mouth was hushed. These words, I had heard of you. I had heard your name. I had heard of you. But now I have seen you. Now I know. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a living hope even in our suffering. And one of the ways it blesses us is by promising us, guaranteeing uh, there is a glorious future. Uh, the Kyberians knew their inheritance was coming. They absolutely knew that it w- they were not living their best life now, as some preachers have encouraged us. My counsel to you then is be preoccupied. Be absorbed with be taken in by what's coming and not by what you lack now. Do you hear that? Be preoccupied with Jesus and his return and not, and not by the things that you want now but don't have. A, a poll was taken a while back on what do you look forward to um, when you go to heaven and um, various people said various things, of course. But one of the things was friends. Uh, another thing was no more sickness, uh, no more death. And a, a few of the more astute ones would say that sin will not be present there. And so it will be a glorious place. But very few people said the one thing that is missing. What are you looking forward to in heaven? Jesus being with him. The Christian looks forward to seeing Jesus. And these words from John's epistle, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. You will finally see him, and you will become like him. He is the inheritance that is promised in a glorious environment of peace. So what else does this inheritance look like? Paul, uh, Peter uses three words here to describe it in, in, um, in verse 4. Uh, first of all, uh, it, is, uh, it is imperishable. An inheritance that is imperishable. That means it is indestructible. And that means um, it uh, will always be uh, f- um, there for you and you can hang on to it. It's not going anywhere. It's also... <laughs> 
Jesus is clean and beautiful and not lacking in any way. It is undefiled. Sometimes when we want something so much on this earth, earth and we wait for it and we wait for it, and then when we finally get it, we realize it's not that big of a deal and it's not that great. And all it is really is dust rearranged in a new way. That's what your new iPhone is that you want so much, right? Dust rearranged. <laughs> Does not need to capture your heart. But this this um, inheritance is undefiled and it's unfading. Jesus does not lose his beauty. You will never be disappointed. And amazingly, you will never be bored. You have an inheritance, as the scripture says, verse 5 says, kept in heaven for you, waiting for you. Now, being resurrected with Jesus then carries you through today's trouble. Looking forward to this beautiful inheritance carries you through today's troubles. It is a very useful um, exercise this year to consider COVID and how it relates to the Christian faith. It is a very important exercise. I'm not looking right now at the source of it. I'm not going to go there. But just your response, perhaps to the inconveniences that occur through it. Uh, we uh, can be preoccupied with seeking to find blames, find someone that we can blame for it. We can charge others, depending on where you are on the political spectrum, you can charge others with manipulating things to make it worse than it really is. And what the godly response is, is that you are more calm as you look to Jesus in the future and reigning now, you are, you are an example of calm, more calm. You are clear-eyed and you are full of generosity towards other people, not feeling the compulsion to judge motives as so often is done these days. You don't need to do that. You have a generous spirit and you are patient. All of this, as we wait for the coming of Jesus. You, you see, um, the resurrection uh, fortifies you for today's suffering. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, verse 6, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Suffering, first of all, and three things that help fortify you against troubles today. Suffering is necessary. It's a necessary part of life. Uh, your suffering is, is likely not as extensive and, and, uh, and deep as that of the Kyberian village. But it's still big. Because it's yours. And you're carrying it. I want to look at two verses uh, in the rest of this uh, and other places in this epistle to help us get a grip on why it is that it's necessary. Why that's a necess- Why is our suffering necessary? Look with me, at, if you wish, to uh, chapter 2 and verse 21. These are verses that you would do well, if they're not already, to be underlined in your Bible, to be highlighted in such a way that they draw your attention. They are so vital and important in this area of suffering. For to this you have been called, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example 
so that you might follow in his steps. An example. You follow in his steps. It was necessary for him to suffer and necessary for you to follow. And then in chapter 4, um, verse, verse 12, why are we surprised by suffering? The apostle asks us. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. Maybe that's a great place to, to sit, to settle your mind on right now. Your suffering, as difficult, as draining as it can be, is not strange. It's not alien. It's not something that is somehow, should have no part, no part of you. In fact, you are called to it. You are called to it, just as you are called to faith. Well, going back to chapter 1 and verse 5, we might well ask then, look, look, look with this, this, this verse here then, um, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed um, in the last time. In this, verse 6, you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. How is it that you rejoice while suffering? How is it that you rejoice while suffering? Here's something that I think can help us. And this goes against our human nature, our human grain. It goes against us. But, But the best things in life, the best things, seeing God, as Job did, knowing the Spirit's presence, having joy in Him, the best things come to you not through the good things of life, the comfort and the ease that we naturally enjoy, but the best things come through the hard things, being without suffering, not having our every desires met, but having the lack of those things actually cause our hearts to yearn more for the Lord. So suffering is necessary. In fact, I can tell you your life now would be impoverished if you did not have it. You would be spiritually fat and lazy without drive, without zeal for the Lord. Suffering is necessary. Secondly, suffering is purposeful. We see this in verse 7. Um, oftentimes, when we do suffer, we're full of self-pity and we say, Why me? <laughs> Others don't suffer like I do. I am unique in my suffering. No one deals with things the way I do. That's how our self-pity takes us. That's where it takes us. But we need to remember, not only is suffering necessary, but it is also purposeful. Uh, faith, verse 7 says, faith is, is like gold in some very important ways. But it is better than gold. It is more precious than gold. Um, gold uh, won't outlast the end-timed fires of destruction, but faith will. Gold will be consumed, burned up. Faith will not be. It is better than gold, but it is like gold in two different ways. 
Uh, one is that uh, the fires of suffering uh, burn out the impurities in our heart, just as the heat takes care of the impurities in the gold. And there is evidence of Jesus in your life that comes out of those, those burning fires of suffering. I think most powerfully what I've seen in my own life is that demanding spirit that life is supposed to be the way I want it. Have you ever had that thought? Life's supposed to be my way, the way I want it to be. And the suffering that God puts us through quiets that demanding spirit. Quiets that demanding spirit. And we praise God for that. Faith is, is, like, uh, is like gold in that it burns out, uh, the suffering uh, burns out our impurities and, and that faith is strengthened. But the second thing is faith, faith um, fire proves that our faith is venu- uh, genuine and it holds up under the fires of those sufferings. And whenever um, we're, um, and whatever we're going through right now is, is ultimately worth it because one day, one day your suffering will cause, will bring about praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, having suffered much in this life. You have continued to be faithful for him, and it will all be worth it, because you'll be able to say, for your praise, for your glory, and for your honor. What a blessing. The resurrection of Jesus fortifies you for today's troubles. It reminds you that suffering is necessary. Suffering is purposeful. But suffering also deepens your joy in Christ. Uh, Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection that has already started in you um, casts a bright shadow uh, over you even in dark times. No matter what you're going through, there is a, a brightness uh, even in that difficult time. And this is what awaits us. And we can experience even now. This is the commendation we get from the Lord. Verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read them. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, see, do, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If I were to ask you a question this morning, are you a Christian? You might very well say, well, yeah, um, I believe in Jesus. And yet you might mean it in much the same way as a person can believe in, say, uranium. You believe it exists, but it's not particularly helpful for you. It's just there. But these verses that speak about seeing, uh, loving Jesus without seeing him, having joy in him without seeing him, uh, this is something that is supernatural and flows from that, that Holy Spirit-empowered ignition that we call regeneration. Well,
the Lord also um, shows us, even as we are looking now uh, to the Lord Jesus, that he is necessary to change our lives. This scripture opens up in verse in verse um, in verse three that uh, according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope and and we must ask the question what exactly does God's mercy accomplish for us how does it change our heart what's going on there I want to mention three things first of all and I'm going to talk about the cross and I'm going to talk about the 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 uh, the, the open tomb. And we can't ever talk about one without the other. We must have a dying Christ and a risen Christ and a returning Christ. First of all, Jesus in his death removes the guilt of sin. Has that occurred to you in your life? That he endured God's just and complete punishment. Um, there is, for those who believe in Christ... There is nothing left in you for God to punish. There's nothing left in you about which God has wrath. Your conscience is at rest. Through faith in Christ's sin-bearing, He removes the guilt of your sin. Secondly, He gives you the righteousness and full acceptance and full acceptance that he has won for us. All the righteousness you need to be able to stand before the Lord in heaven is gifted to you. All the righteousness you need. There is nothing that you have left undone that will keep you from heaven or make your conscience not be at rest. But then thirdly, there's the empty tomb, also by God's mercy, where his life is now in you. And he gives you that unquenchable hope, that living hope to see him face to face. As John Bunyan would say, oh, the cross, oh, the sepulcher, oh, the cross, oh, the tomb. Together, that open tomb signifying the resurrection. And so you do rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And you are already on your way. That's what that word obtaining uh, in verse 9 means. You're already obtaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, will you be there? Will, will you be there? Is this inheritance yours? I want to describe in three very brief ways what people look like who are heading to heaven. What people look like who are heading to heaven. Uh, those um, who, for whom Christ died and for whom Christ is returning, First, uh, Second Thessalonians says, they marvel at him. They are fascinated by the person of Christ, his beauty, what he has done for them. They marvel. Secondly, Hebrews 9 says, those who are going to be in heaven are, are eagerly awaiting him. There, there is an urgency. There is a, a tiptoe with eyes on the horizon. I want to see my Savior. I love him. I marvel at him, and I'm eagerly waiting for him. And Second Timothy says this, those 
who will be brought into heaven love his appearing. They love it. It is the most precious thing, Jesus Christ. And we are therefore able to say, as the things of this life that so often control us as they fade into the distance. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is coming and that will be revealed at the return of Jesus. Is he your hope? Are you eager to see him? Uh, Do you marvel at him? Uh, Do you love the coming of Jesus? Look to him now and put your full trust in him in his saving work for you. He has risen. He is coming again. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do marvel at you today. We marvel that your death and resurrection has has concrete meaning and impact on the way we live right now. And we thank you for that. We thank you that ours is not simply an emotional faith. It is not simply an intellectual faith. There is spiritual substance for which we praise you. Thank you for your coming and dying for us. Thank you for your having been risen from the grave. And thank you for your promised return. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.